I can tell you the happiest and the saddest day of my life very easily because they were the same day. June 8th, 2007. The day I was given my son Sam and the day my wife was taken from us. Having him, being responsible for him when needing to focus so much time and energy on taking care of a baby, well, it saved me. It kept me sane and alive at a time when neither was very appealing. Raising him alone, I never thought I'd had a moment where I didn't miss Viv, but I also never forgot to be grateful for what I had left. And then last year, Sam drowned in a friend's swimming pool. It was all over by the time I got the call. All over except the pain and paperwork and the guilt and the loneliness. My best friend Jackie tried to help, but what help was there for something like that? I didn't even know how to feel about it. It was as though Viv dying in labor had set up for some horrible joke and Sam sucking in too much chlorinated water was the punchline. I wasn't sure if what I felt was some numbing species of anger and pain or just relief. Relief that I could finally stop waiting for the hammer to drop and take away every last thing that meant anything. Every week afterward that I kept on breathing seemed like both a triumph and an act of cowardice. Jackie was spending a lot of time with me now, constantly checking up and taking readings on my emotional barometer. I could see her own relief every time I answered the door instead of waiting to be found in the bathtub or the bed. I hated myself for it. It wasn't fair to her, was it? I was making her miserable and eating her life a day at a time as she tried to help me find a way to keep going. Maybe that's what made her so desperate. And maybe that's what led to her carrying me to a psychic. They're not a psychic. Not exactly. She rolled her eyes at me. They just... Well, I'll I'll let them explain. But I talked to him on the phone last week, and the two people I contacted after reading their accounts, they say he's legit, so... Reaching over, she gave my arm a squeeze. Just give him a shot, okay? I nodded. Sure, yeah, I will. And I would. Not that it would matter. I'd already decided I was giving myself until the end of the month, and if things didn't get better, I wasn't going to spend another month going on like this. And I doubted some new-age scammer would be the answer to my problems. Not like this looked like a psychic shop or a new-age store. I didn't smell incense or see crystals hanging from the ceiling, no trippy pictures on the wall or mellow instrumental music playing in the background. It was just a normal living room in a two-story country house three hours away from home. We'd been let in by a middle-aged woman and told to have a seat, and then she disappeared into the back. It wasn't until we had lapsed into a period of silence that a younger man stepped in from another doorway and introduced himself as Brian. He had a round, boyish-looking face that seemed at odds with his long arms and skinny frame. As he was sitting down across from us, he began to talk. 
So, as your friend told you, I'm not a psychic. Growing up, I used to joke that I could just see around corners sometimes, and I think that's still a fair description of a portion of my sensitivity. Some people would call that clairvoyance. They might call other things I see or hear precognition or telepathy. Sounds like psychic stuff, right? But I've come to realize that all that doesn't come from some internal psychic power I have, at least not directly. Instead, it comes from the other part of my sensitivity, my ability to see across barriers into the other worlds. I frowned at him and broke in. What are you saying? You can see my little boy in the afterlife? I felt my jaw harden. I don't believe in any of that. He smiled and shrugged. With respect, your belief or lack thereof has little impact on the reality of things, but to answer your question, no. I'm not a medium either. The worlds I can perceive are not what I would call the afterlife, and the people aren't ghosts. Rather, I can see into other versions of this world that run right along next to our own. I felt a combination of anger and confusion welling up inside me, despite my resolution to see this through for Jackie's sake. So what, like some kind of science fiction movie? Another dimension or something? Brian nodded. You can look at it like that, yeah. I look at it like a big old pie. If you take a pie and cut it into a million tiny slices, all of the slices are still pie, right? And to a large extent, they've got the same stuff in them. But every slice is different, too. Things get changed and jumbled around. Someone goes left instead of right. He offered a small, embarrassed smile. Or someone lives instead of dies. I started to stand up. This is Bolt. I stopped when I felt Jackie's hand on mine. Looking down at her, I saw the fear and sadness on her face. I could give her this, at least. Let her feel like she's tried everything to save me. Sitting back down, I tried to keep my voice even. Sorry. Go on. The man sighed softly. I understand. It does sound like bullshit, but I can tell you that it's real. I know because I can see them. Some of the slices. My guess is I'm seeing a few that are closer to ours in some way I don't understand. I definitely don't see all of them, I don't think. My guess is it's a pretty big pie and maybe it gets weirder the further out you go from where you start. For my part, I've identified 17 distinct realities so far. He laughed awkwardly. <laughs> 18 if you count ours. I nodded. Okay, so what does that mean? Say I believe you. I don't, but let's say for argument's sake that I did. So what? How does that help me? His smile was warmer when he answered. Because I think I can help you find your son again. Not your version of Sam, of course. Again, I don't do seances or talk to the dead, but I might be able to find one of those other versions. Give you an insight into a version of him that still lives. Despite myself, I was leaning forward now, my voice tight with emotion. Are 
Are you saying I could see my boy again? Is that what you're fucking saying? Brian's smile faltered. I'm not saying anything for sure yet. First, I need something that belonged to him. I have to try to connect with him and find him in one of these other worlds next to ours. His eyes cut to Jackie. I think you said you had something? I turned to her even as she was reaching out to hand her wristwatch to the man. It was a child's watch. A robot's open mouth farming a liquid crystal display that didn't tell time anymore. Trembling, I grabbed her arm. Jackie, no. He gave you that. Her eyes were glassy with tears as she met mine. Don't you think I know that? She tugged her arm free. You're not the only one that lost something when he died, you know? Looking to Brian, she held out the watch. Will this work? The man took it gingerly, running his fingers over it and sniffing it before nodding his eyes and drifting off dreamily for a moment before coming back to us. I think so. He stood and started to leave the room. It'll take a few days for me to check for a potential version that will work. I'll call you when we're ready to meet. Be ready to travel when I call. I shot Jackie a look and she shrugged at me, wide-eyed. When I turned back, the man was gone. This is fucking stupid. Mike, you promised you'd keep an open mind. Grimacing, I stared back out the window. We'd been sitting in the empty parking lot for over half an hour waiting for Brian to show up, and that was after driving another five hours to get there in the first place. He claimed he'd used the watch to locate a spot where I could see Sam, and best he could tell, the spot should work again today when the time was right, and yet, despite time supposedly being so important, he was fucking... There he is. I could hear the relief in Jackie's voice. I had to try and stay civil with this guy, let it run its course, whatever this con was. When he started asking for money, I'd just politely tell him no and we could go. Getting out of the car, I could see Brian was already out and heading towards us. Sorry, sorry I'm late. I've been tracking him today, but they took a detour before coming here. I'm worried I would lose them, so I've been riding around the area for the last hour or so. He smiled broadly. But he's here now. Turning, he pointed to a spot over a few feet past our car. Right over there. I followed his gesture to stare at the bare patch of cracked asphalt before turning back to him. So, in this alternate reality, Sam is hanging out in the parking lot of an old shopping center on a Sunday morning? He chuckled and shook his head. No, of course not. Over here, it's a crappy parking lot. Over there, it's a park. They went there on Thursday, and I heard them talking about coming back today. I could see ahead that they did so, so I knew it would be a good spot. I felt my stomach turn to ice. Who? Who's they? Them. Brian's expression grew more serious. I don't know for sure, but from what I can tell, it's Sam and your wife. Swallowing, he went on. 
I guess over there, she's still alive too. It was across the distance between us in a second. Listen, you son of a bitch. I've had all of this. I want to... Mike, stop it. I whirled on Jackie. No, I'm fucking sick of this, listening to his shit. Do you understand how insane this is? He could tell us anything. It's some magic thing that only he can see, right? But just give him money and he'll tell me what I want to hear. Mike, if you'll just... This was Brian again, and when I turned back to him, I could already feel myself tensing to hit him. You want to fucking stop talking right now, or I swear to God I'll... He held up his hand, and it was a black piece of fabric, a sack or a hood of some kind. His expression was patient and kind as he spoke to me softly. Just put this on to block out the world. Do that and hold my hands. I do my best to show you your little boy again. I took a step back, completely disoriented. He seemed so sincere. Maybe he was insane and actually believed what he was saying. I glanced at Jackie. She was nodding at me, tears streaming down her cheeks. Just try it. Please. Taking a deep breath, I took the sack from him wordlessly and slipped it over my head. The world went black, and when Brian was suddenly holding my hands, I had to stifle an urge to recoil from the alien contact. Just relax. It will take a moment, but soon you'll start seeing what I see. My internal clock was already ticking. How long did I have to wait before I could just take this off and go home? I figured I'd give it five minutes at most, and then Jackie would just have to accept it. I could see... light. More than light. I was seeing shapes and motion, everything growing sharper and brighter as though I was breaking the surface of some darkened sea. Finally, able to see the sun and breathe again. Because, oh my god, it was Viv and Sam. She looked a little older than I remembered, but my memories of her were from years ago. And Sam? He'd grown since I'd last seen him, but it was clearly him. They were playing with a dog that clearly belonged to them. It would chase down the ball they threw and alternate bringing it to one or the other as they laughed. Distantly, I could hear myself crying, punctuated by watery words as I mumbled what I was seeing and wondered at how it was possible. Out of instinct, I tried to pull free of Brian and approach them, but he held my hands tighter. No, you can't touch or speak to them, and if you aren't holding my hands, you'll lose sight of that place entirely. I let out a sob as Viv walked closer to me. I tried to lean my head, my entire body, to the side just so I could try and feel her arm or brush by her hair. But, but she's, she's close enough to touch. She has to know that I'm here, that I... 
I love her. I heard a sniffling sound from close by as Brian spoke again. I know. She can't see you. None of them can. And you can't touch each other. Shaking, I nodded. The next few minutes were quiet as I watched them, drinking in every moment of laughter and joy between them. Then, a thought occurred to me. Where am I? What do you mean, Mike? I frowned under the hood. I mean, is there a version of me over there? And if there is, why aren't I with them? His hands tugged upward on mine and what I guessed was a shrug. I don't know. I haven't seen a version of you the times I've watched them. Maybe you're out of town or maybe over there you aren't alive anymore. My heart quickened as they gathered up the little dog and started to walk away. They're leaving. We, we need to follow them. Suddenly Brian's hands were gone, and with them, the view of that other world. Ripping off the hood, I stared at him, and my voice was raw and hoarse when I spoke. Why did you do that? We have to follow them. I can't lose them again. Brian's eyes were sad as he glanced at Jackie and then back at me. Mike, you never had them. They aren't your Vivian and Sam. Not exactly. The point of this wasn't to get you back what you lost. It was to show you that despite what you've lost, they're still alive in a way. I don't claim to understand death or how the universe works, but I feel like part of why I have this gift is to show people there's more to both than we realize. He reached out his hand and grasped my arm. And there's hope in that. I pulled away with a scowl. Show them to me again. I'll pay you. I don't fucking care how much. Just show them to me again. He took a step back. That doesn't work like that. I don't do it for someone more than once. Not anymore. I snorted. I don't believe you. It's true. I swear. Why? Why wouldn't you do it again? His expression grew distant as he took another step back toward his car. These things I can see and do, I think they're good things. I try to use them for good at least. But they're not natural. Most people aren't meant to cross certain lines. I can do it without any problems usually, but if other people do it more than once... He scrubbed his hand across his mouth. I've seen it cause problems before. I stepped toward him, my face hard. You'll do it for me. Shaking his head, he opened his car door and got in. Sorry, but no. I won't. I was about to advance on him when I felt Jackie's hand on my back. I glanced at her and when I looked back, Brian was driving away. The ride back was quiet. 
I could tell Jackie had a million questions, but after her first couple, I told her I just needed time to process everything, and then we could talk about it the next day. Truth was, I was preoccupied. Antsy. I was trying not to look too jittery, but I was itching to get home so I could ditch her and head back out. Back to Brian's house. Don't do this. Please. I cocked the revolver and pressed it against the top of his foot. We've come this far. I thought we had an understanding. You show me what I want. You take me to them again, or I'll cripple you. Cripple you, or worse. I grimaced and gave my head a shake. I don't mean to sound cruel. I know this isn't your fault, but I will see them again. Find a way to be with them if I can. It was half past midnight, and we were back in the parking lot again. When I confronted him at his house, he'd still refused to help. It wasn't until I pulled out the gun that he stopped running his mouth, though even then he said he couldn't find them again. I knew it was a lie, and I told him so. He'd already made the mistake of saying he'd seen them multiple times before and that he could track Sam through the wristwatch. So I forced him into my car and carried him back to the parking lot that was also a park and another where. told him to get to tracking down my wife and little boy. His eyes were wide with fear as he looked around the night surrounding us. Mike, you don't understand. Now that you've looked across... It's like you have a mark on you. You will... I dug the barrel of the gun into the top of his shoe until he grunted in pain. Get out and find them. Lowering his head, he pointed north. They're that way. I live in a neighborhood a couple of blocks up. Flutter of excitement in my chest. I got out and gestured with the gun. Lead the way, Brian. We walked through the cold dark together, and as we made this turn and that, I couldn't escape the image of following a tracking dog. Brian the bloodhound sniffing out missing family for me. I felt guilty for how I was treating him, but I was largely drowned out by my excitement. When we stopped near a large ranch-style house, I could barely hear my thoughts over the thundering of my heart. They live there? He shook his head and pointed at the sidewalk in front of us. No. Here. The streets and lots are similar there, but shifted some standing in Sam's bedroom right now. Sucking in a breath, I stepped around and grabbed Brian's right hand with my left and waved my gun at him. Grab it. Show me. I'll just shut my eyes. I met his gaze. But you let go before I say or do anything else funny and I'll pull this trigger. Do you understand? He nodded, his eyes cooler and harder now. When he spoke, I could hear the resignation there. Yeah, I understand. He gripped my gun hand. Close your eyes. 
within moments, it was in a room. A little boy's bedroom. It was him. I could see his hair poking out from under the sheets, and in the dim light of a nightlight, I could see the lines of his face as he slept in untroubled sleep. Gripping Brian's hand tighter, I crouched down. I could hear him now, lightly snoring. If I could hear him, maybe I could hear her too. Maybe I was getting closer and they could hear me, even see me in time. I could keep trying until... The floor creaked behind me. Turning, I looked down to the hallway where I could see the dim outline of something moving toward the door. It walked upright like a man, but its movements were wrong and unnatural. As it stepped into the light, I saw it had a face. A terrible, impossible face. No, not a face, a mask. A mask of metal and bone and flesh melded together to make a bifurcated face that was half upright and smiling and half upside down and snarling. The split eyes and mouths ran into one another, with the central feature being two wide yin-yang nostrils in the center of a mound that served as some remnant of a nose. There was a sharp whooshing sound as it sucked in a deep breath through the nose holes of the mask. Afterward, it turned its head toward the room, toward me, and stepped inside. The odd angles and rigid bulk of its body somewhat obscured by long cloak and tattered rags. What is it? My voice was barely a whisper, and I was terrified. It could hear me, but I didn't want to let go, and I couldn't go on not knowing what was coming into Sam's room at night. Brian's voice seemed small and distant. It's one of the things I warned you about. The things that live in between the spaces and the dark between the worlds. I don't know what they are, but they can sense when people look where they shouldn't. The creature was closer now, two feet in front of me, and I heard another whoosh of air as it sucked in large breath. It's... I think it's trying to smell me. Brian's voice was closer now, lower, and I could feel his face near mine as he spoke. It is. It can't see you yet, but it knows you're there. And if it can't find you, it might start looking for me. I pulled back slightly, my eyes still screwed tight, but you said they couldn't see you. He gave a short, bitter laugh. <laughs> no. I said they couldn't see you. The people and animals can see me if I want them to. And these things, they see me no matter what. They just don't seem to mind me as much. At least so long as they get what they're looking for. What are you... I warned you, Mike. If you'd only fucking listen. With that, he gripped my hand and pressed his cheek to mine before letting out an ear-splitting whistle. I could feel the sound through my muscles and bones, nerves and blood, vibrating all the way down to my core. The creature heard it, too. The bottom and top of its mask split briefly as twin black tongues snaked out and tested the air. 
They danced for a moment before retreating behind the mask. Even as the thing's bulk moved closer to me, the whistle had told it all it needed to know, and now it was inches away in that other world. Suddenly Brian's hands were gone. Everything went dark and then back to a nighttime neighborhood as I opened my eyes. He was already backing away from me. Hands trembling, I pointed the gun at him. What did you do? He shrugged, the shoulders of his too large red overcoat like flapping wings in the dim light. I kept my ass alive is what I did. You wouldn't listen, and you wouldn't have stopped until we were both dead. I took a step forward. Fuck you. You fucking whistled it onto me. His face grew indignant. I tried to help you, and I warned you. All I did was keep you from dragging me down too. Waving the gun, I glared at him. Fix it. Fix it or I'll shoot you. Brian shook his head. I wouldn't recommend that. It's on you now. The more noise you make, the quicker it'll get you, and I can't fix it anyway. I don't know how. You said we can't touch them. Or I, I can't. And then they can't touch me either, right? The other man shook his head with a rueful smile. You don't get this. This thing is not from that world or this one. It's outside of all that, but it can come inside for certain things, like when someone breaks the rules or looks where they shouldn't. The gun drifted down my side as I tried to breathe. What do I do? Brian looked sympathetic as he backed further away. You run, and you keep running very, very quietly. I've been writing this all down in my bathroom, a towel under the door to muffle the sound. I thought about going somewhere else, but what does it matter? It's going to find me sooner or later anyway. That's why I've decided to write it all down, for Jackie and for anyone else that cares. I'm not ending this because she failed me or because I couldn't find the will to go on. Oddly enough, for that moment, I actually want to live. But I'm terrified. If that thing gets me, it'll carry me somewhere I'll never be with Viv or Sam again. I know there are other worlds than this. Places and people I don't understand and things that are worse than death. One of them is inside the house, now coming down the hall, sniffing for me like the evening's meal. I heard the door creak as an invisible weight settles on the other side. I can sense it now. I'll have to move quick and quiet, but the gun's loaded and near. Quick and quiet before it knows what I'm doing. Before it's close enough to touch. was on my way to Canada to see family when the pursuit happened. 13-hour drives are no joke. I've done 8-hour drives more than a few times, so I thought I'd be fine, but the mind starts to fray at 6, and I hit that agonized mental exhaustion, only to realize I hadn't even gone halfway yet. 
It was 11.54 p.m. CST when I pulled into that rest stop. Past midnight my time, but just creeping up on it for that region of the world. And anti-noon is a very different thing out in the empty reaches of middle America. Without the omnipresent haze of city light, the star-filled sky was a looming and clawing blanket on my awareness that seemed to possess parallax for the first time I'd ever seen. As I climbed out of my borrowed family van, stretched, scanned the silent and still darkness, and began walking warily and unsteadily toward the pool of light around the rest stop building, I had the strangest notion that I could sense the different distances of the stars and even see them moving slightly. It was as if someone had hung the pinpoints of light nearly within reach, like the dome of a planetarium. I stopped right at the edge of the artificial lighting that cut the sidewalk into opposite shades, staring upward and trying to make sense of what I was seeing. At 11.57, by my watch, a strange constant warm wind began to flow through the area. Silhouette walls of wood began to whisper and wave, outlined only by these eerily close stars that seemed poised to hit the metronome treetops. This prompted me to move. Traces of vague fear slithered through the heavy fatigue on my senses, and I entered the rest stop's pool of electric light. The dark red sedan rose in the edge of my vision like a bubble emerging from the depths of a lake. It was already dark and silent, sitting in a spot at the opposite end of the parking lot, but it startled me with the realization that I was not alone here. I saw nobody on foot, so I figured they were either a maintenance man or already inside. Fixing my hair with a brief slide of my hand, I pushed through the heavy glass doors and into the small pocket of civilization the state built and maintained for drivers just like me. Yeah, there were security cameras over in that corner and a blue-lit phone stand for emergencies. I was fine. This, this was fine. The high clock on the wall hit midnight. The lights flickered briefly, and it occurred to me that this edifice of civilized safety could vanish within an instant if the power went out. I froze with my hand on the door to the men's bathroom and listened. Somewhere in the building, a radio or a phone had become audible, sending out one half of a conversation that was just poor enough in reception and echo so as to be indecipherable. The male voice coming through the phone seemed to be excited and fearful, practically shouting long strings of urgent information to whoever was listening. I say listening because there was no break in the staticky shouting to indicate someone was talking back. Was this a radio that someone had left on, or maybe a cell on speakerphone someone had dropped? If it was a cell phone, who had answered? Not quite sure why, I began to back slowly out of the building. The glass doors were heavy but quiet, and I heard the urgent crackling of speech fade as the door swung silently shut behind me. But in the warm, constant wind, I walked back to my borrowed family van with a sense of unease I couldn't shake. Now at a safe distance, I looked back at the rest stop, and that was when I first finally saw it. It was in the men's restroom. 
That much I knew instantly from the position of the tall frosted window, an idea flashed into my awareness. The driver of the dark red sedan had been on his phone, and he had entered the men's bathroom and had encountered it without warning. Whoever he'd been talking with had probably been frantically shouting over the line ever since. I nearly fumbled my keys but got the van turned on and moving despite the vice-like grip of adrenaline on my limbs. No trucks. There were no trucks in the Weiner parking lot. My phone was dead because I'd forgotten my charger. Shaking. What to do? The next rest stop. Step on the accelerator. The next rest stop would have a blue-lit emergency phone. The rest stops were roughly 40 or 50 miles apart. Not long. It wouldn't be too long. But... But what would I say? What had I seen? How had I even recognized it as a monster? The creatures I'd always seen in movies were typically of a few different but very clear types. Transmorphic like the thing, smooth and bladed like the alien, twisted perversions from places like Silent Hill, or animalistic like a werewolf. But the shadow I'd seen had been of something else entirely. No cars, no gas stations, no exits, just endless, dark highway. I hit the next rest stop at 12.54 a.m. CST and jumped out and ran through warm, constant wind under those eerily close stars to reach these new heavy glass doors. I froze with my hand on the second handle and turned to look back. There, close to the middle of the line of parking spots, was a dark red sedan. Was it the same one? I hadn't gotten the license plate the first time, but... How had they gotten ahead of me? I hadn't seen a single car on the road. Had they driven past with their lights off somehow? It's a different setup inside. It was a similar building, but with more corners. I clung to the brick wall and moved quietly. The high clock hit 1 a.m., and the lights flickered briefly. I put my back to brick next to the blue-lit phone and picked it up while watching the closed bathroom doors and the entrance to the vending machine area. To my surprise, the phone was already active. A male voice said, Hello? I responded with, Hello? As well, completely taken off guard. Who is... He began to say. Who is... I said, cutting him off and then stopping myself as I heard his question. He said, I, just before I said, I, and stopped, chilled as I realized I was hearing my own echo, even before I spoke. My fingers clenched white around the phone as I stared at it from an inch away. This couldn't be real, could it? I needed to be sure. I let the idea spill down toward my mouth. Test phrase, he said. I bit back the words as soon as I heard my pre-echo. Ah, you got me, the voice said, humor. Somewhere in the building, that indecipherable voice was talking over a radio or speakerphone rose once more, this time desperately shouting for a response. 
I moved toward the front, but then had a sudden notion. I'd gone that way last time. I felt hunted, and it was really happening. My unknown pursuer would expect that. I went through the door of the women's bathroom instead. Hurrying across, I rolled open a small window and slid out into the night. I shouldn't have done it, but... I had to. I crept along the side of the building and peered around the corner. He was waiting out front, just beyond the curve in the sidewalk. Humanoid. Maybe that's the type of monster, but... That doesn't do it justice. Imagine you could take the moments of a person's life and make them stand next to one another. Imagine you had a line of children, each older than the last, by just a bit. That line becomes a line of teenagers, then adults, then old men, but all the same men. Now imagine yourself standing at the very beginning of that line and looking up at them superimposed onto one another. All visible, all transparent, all in different poses that overlay to form a century-deep blur whose elements you can somehow still tell apart if you stare hard enough. Now imagine that line starts not at birth, but at death. And the line starts with a corpse and ends with dirt and dust rotted down from ancient bones and maggot-filled flesh. A ghost? A zombie? An entity from outside of time? No wonder I couldn't identify it by a shadow in a frosted window. It was a walking timeline of death and decay bound to a grinning, half-rotted skull. And that grin turned toward me as I stared. A cloud of two centuries of decomposing corpse slowly turned and began stepping in my direction. I ran. Lucky that my van was parked on this side. I reached and drove away in a panic, watching my rearview mirror for the ghastly thing every other second. He just stood there and watched me until I could no longer see it in return. No cars. No gas stations. No exits. Just endless, dark highway. With my foot on the accelerator the entire time, more than happy to get a huge speeding ticket if only it meant that I could find a cop, I hit the next rest stop at 1.54 a.m. CST. Laughing darkly to myself in confirmation, I hopped out and checked the license plate of the dark red sedan parked in the dead middle of the row of spots. It was different. It was different, but so was the rest stop's architecture and layout. I'd seen enough Twilight Zones not to fall for it. The only difference was that this was actually happening, and my brain just kept running scenario after scenario, trying to understand how this could be explained away. The bubble of light around the rest stop no longer seemed inviting. I slunk in, gaze darting and alert, and picked up the blue-lit emergency phone. Not hearing a dial tone, I asked, What do you want? My heart sank as that same voice replied. I'm missing a piece. And indeed, I knew what he meant. 
there had been one missing moment in the visible timeline of that decaying corpse entity. The one closest to still alive. The one that most human beings saw only in coffins at funerals. The thing following me was a ghost without a soul. A dead thing that had not yet found a living thing to be a part of. I asked the question burning at the forefront of my mind. Why me? Isn't it obvious? It laughed. I'm your future. No. The phone began to creak under the force of my squeezing hand. Yes. Did you think you were going to live forever? I'm not dead yet, I screamed into the receiver. The voice on the other end paused before asking, Am I early? Oh my. What time is it by your clock? I looked up at the high clock on the wall. 2.05 a.m. Shit, that's right. We're on a road trip. I've got the wrong time zone. Its words initially brought me a spark of hope. But then I grew suspicious. What do you mean? When are you supposed to come? We were supposed to die at 12.54 a.m., the entity breathed, very concerned. We fell asleep while driving and suffered a fatal crash. This is CST, I shouted half hopefully and half angrily. You came an hour early. No way I'd fall asleep after that adrenaline rush. So I'm your ghost, yet you didn't die, the other continued, because I showed up an hour early. We should meet and talk about what to do. While it seemed distracted, I dropped the phone and made a dash out of the heavy glass doors toward my van. It turned and tried to give chase, but I'd chosen the perfect moment. The van roared to life and the headlights seared fire across its path. No cars. No gas stations. No exits. Just endless, dark highway. I hit the next rest stop at 2.54 a.m. CST, already darkly bitter about what I was about to find. The dark red sedan was now nearly on the other end of the parking lot from where it had started. I didn't stop. I blew right on through. The radio crackled and his voice came through on the static. I can't let you go. You know that, right? Go to hell. I slammed my hand down on the radio button. Wait! No cars. No gas stations. No exits. Just endless, dark highway. I hit the next rest stop at 3.54 a.m. CST with my gas tank nearly on empty and the sky showing zero signs of dawn. In this latest lot, the dark red sedan was at the farthest possible spot. There was no more running. My gas tank wouldn't take me to the next stop. I had ample time to think about that, however, and I'd eyed the dark red sedan that was somehow part of this mysterious battle of will. The two centuries of progressively decaying corpses were waiting right there at the rest stop's light and began stepping toward me. 
I picked up a rock and smashed the window of the dark red sedan. As I cleared away glass and reached down to open the passenger side door, the radio lit up and said, Do you know what will happen to you if you do escape? I won't lie. Reality will pop like a punctured balloon. Have you ever heard of a ghost without a dead human being to go with it? It's never happened before. Time will... Unzip. I climbed in and began reaching around in the near total darkness looking for keys. The trash-filled car stank horribly, and I found myself fighting exhaustion, nausea, and darkness to stay focused. By the time I realized the keys were already in the ignition, the creature was right outside the broken window, and I turned the car on and tried to drive down to reach the gas pedal with my hand. But I didn't get there. Part of the piles of trash turned out to be a man reclining in the driver's seat, and part of that smell turned out to be coming from his bloated body. Not my ghost. This man had died in his dark red sedan some time ago. Not my ghost. It grasped at my leg through the window and I felt my jeans disintegrate up to my knee. Scrambling forward over his strangely moist, putrefying bag of flesh, I pushed the opposite door open and rolled out onto the sidewalk. The unbound ghost crawled through the car after me but vanished with an elated fading scream as it fell into temporal contact with its proper host. I hadn't cared. I just wanted a host, any host. It had lied. With time properly bound, once more, and the universe zipped together correctly, the sun rose not too long after. I wasn't going to die, at least not today. But as I changed to my route and checked into a hotel to avoid falling asleep on the drive, I had to wonder. That particular ghost had lied. Was mine still out there, waiting for me? Had it been a very specific story the entity had told, what if that had really been my intended fate? What if I would have died if not for the accidental intervention of someone else's ghost? It's a strange feeling, but tonight the stars again feel oddly close. <laughs>